Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today.
not actually what mankind will do, but what God is intending to do. If the New Testament says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God, the holy, strangely beautiful fury of God is a devastating reality that is imminent. The final eternal wrath of God that ends human history is on the the longer I live, the more I sense its fast approach. And yet at the same time, there is a certain kind of wonderful justice about the whole thing. In fact, Scripture calls that the beauty of holiness. Or really, since God's holiness is associated with his righteous wrath, it is the beauty of wrath, strangely. In first Corinthians, excuse me, first Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 29, it says, Give unto the Lord Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Second Chronicles 20 and verse 21, it says we should praise Him in the beauty of His holiness. Three times in the book of Psalms, Psalms 29 verse 2, 86 and verse 9, and 110 and verse 3, it says worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Why would God's holiness associate with His judgment be such a beautiful thing? Because it's actually full of holy not only have vengeance, it's not good, but with God has vengeance, it's holy vengeance. Because there's a righteous justice in it. And yet simultaneously, God's vengeance is, while it's at the same time overwhelming, His mercy is equally overwhelming. The greatest soul winning time of history will take place during the tribulation period. Strangely enough, Millions will come to Christ during that tribulation period. Today we're in chapter 15. It is that we are at the end of that period called the tribulation period. Soon we shall see the glorious morning. Saints arise. The kings of saints shall soon appear and tie their royal spend near. After a much needed evening out, some parents
they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, and thy judgments are made manifest. And after that I looked, and behold, temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. And the seven angels came out of the temple having the seven plagues clothed in pure and white linen and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. One of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. In this chapter, in these eight verses, I see four parts that I would like to share with you this morning. First of all, I see a sign preparing the last judgment. A sign preparing the last judgment. Notice we have a very direct introduction here by verse 1. It says, And I saw another sign that really is a key word in the book of Revelation because so much of the book of Revelation here is a sign. They are symbols. This gives an opportunity this morning to clarify for all of us and maybe especially for those who are just kind of getting into this whole thing of Christianity or even the book of Revelation. Let's understand how we are proceeding through the book of Revelation. It is very vital when you read the book of Revelation to not just turkey, turkey, jump all around kind of mindset. You need to have a consistent method of interpretation. By the way, that's really the right plan for all of the Bible. Now, we are biblicists. Being a biblicist, we take a literal stance to the Bible. Write this down. If it makes sense, make no other sense. That's our operating procedure. If it makes sense, make no other sense of the passage. For example, if it says seven years, it makes sense, doesn't it? Seven years, there's nothing real strange about that. That means it's seven periods of 365 literal days. But then there are elaborate, grandiose, frankly, even weird pictures that the Holy Spirit paints for us in the book of Revelation. Ominous. Now, are they real, strange things that are happening, or are they metaphors for something else? Well, many times as you read through the book of Revelation, it is a real event that's coming, but it is described in a metaphorical way. That is, we have to understand that the man God gave these visions to was a man known as the Apostle John. He was on the Isle of Patmos. He was given a vision. He, through his humanist part of him, was 
So if he was to describe something, he would describe it like you would in the first century. This well-known evangelist Billy Graham once said, what is heaven going to be like? Well, just as though there's a mystery to hell, so there's a mystery to heaven. And I believe the Bible teaches that both are literal places. I'm not worried about where they are because I know where Jesus is and he told me to meet him there. And so the event is real and we interpret that literally to be true, but the metaphor may be described. For example, the Apostle John, if he were to describe it, say, a missile, which we can very easily describe, we know that it's like a long tube and, you know, the nose flies from here, but if John were to describe it as a first century person, he would say, well, it's like a log with fire coming out the end. And so it's a real event, but it's metaphorical, described in a first century kind of way. And so let's examine then the signs that were given today, understanding that it's a real event, but whatever the case is, we're not sure where it becomes a metaphor or not, but the fact of the matter is God gives us a very clear understanding. First of all, it says that this sign is great. It's a great sign, meaning, actually the Greek word there is mega. It is a large, massive sign. It's not going to be missed, for sure. Then it calls it marvelous. Our word in the English language is amazing. It's actually the same root. Shocking, startling, overwhelming. God is trying to express the enormity of this sign. This is a big, big deal. Shock and awe, maybe, as they have called it in the past. What is the sign? Here's the sign. What is this mega amazing sign? Seven angels having the seven last plagues. We're in there still of the wrath of God. Here again we meet these angels. Angels are often used in the book of Revelation. Now normally, angels are ministers of mercy. The book of Hebrews reminds us that they are ministers of mercy. Normally, they are protectors of the especially the saints of God. But now they become the agents of God's deadly wrath. In Matthew chapter 13, for example, God called the end-time angels reapers. So you say, reapers like grim reapers? Yeah, there you go. These angels are literal grim reapers. And it says that they inflict seven final plagues. Now the word plague is an interesting word. It's not really the word for disease in the King James. It is actually the word for wound. In fact, Luke chapter 12 verse 48 is used for the time when someone is flogged. And so, God is going to flog the earth. He's going to plague the earth with seven, meaning that's the number for completion. There is this complete uh, filling up, as it says, when it ends, filled up the wrath of God. We must be clear here as you go through the book of Revelation. This is God's wrath that is being inflicted on mankind. The angels are the grim reapers. They are God's agents. Now, bleeding hearts don't like to hear about a God of holy wrath. I will tell you, I was always so blessed during the Christmas season to drive by our church out there and see that wonderful cross 50 feet up in the air on top of that Christmas tree. Great symbol of the tree that Christ died on. Sadly, however, today, in our snowflake world, 
The symbol of the cross is too controversial, they say. In fact, for many, they say it's too polarizing. One Christian author wrote, such beliefs of a God without wrath, bringing into the kingdom without judgment, of a Christ without a cross, is not Christianity. There can be no Christianity without the cross. Friend, the cross is a symbol of the wrath of God. It is something that we look at it, though we wear crosses and we stand firmly behind it. The fact of the matter is we are illustrating a picture of the beauty of God's holiness, the beauty of God's wrath. These bowls of judgment will come in a rapid, staccato fashion right near the end of the 70th period. In fact, it may come so quickly it may occur over just a few days. But amazing, even in the midst of judgment, God will be still giving people an opportunity to embrace the Savior and accept the gospel. Truly, as the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk said, in wrath, God always remembers mercy. And yet, if mercy is strong, the only thing left is his inevitable and final wrath. Hymnist William Cowper wrote, Jesus, whose blood so freely streamed by thee from guilt and wrath redeemed, peace by such means so dearly bought, peace by his injured sovereign rock, his sovereign fastened to a tree, let the deplorable deep agree, and may assault and may distress, but cannot quench thy love to me. Yes, there is wrath, but in the midst of wrath, God remembers his mercy and his love. And so God says there's a sign, these redeeming angels, these grim reapers, going to show how the next was going to happen. Now what happens is the second section, and that is singing during the last judgment in verses 2. People were singing. You say, wait a second. Singing when wrath is taking place? Yes, there is this beauty of holiness, of holy wrath of God. At first, let's look where the stage of singing actually takes place. Verse 2. I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. It says he sees a sea of glass. Now, we're not talking about H2O here, but rather a shimmering, transparent, glistening crystal platform. John actually is looking up at it and seeing the throne of God. So he's looking through this crystal platform, see-through platform, beautiful platform, and viewing the throne of God. It's exactly what Ezekiel saw in Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 22, where he saw what God saw. And the likeness of the throne upon the heads of the living creature was as the color of terrible crystal stretched forth over their heads above. Pauline and I had the privilege of touring the beautiful palace of Versailles there in the palace of Versailles, Louis XIV made this beautiful crystal mirror room. It was absolutely breathtaking, I must tell you. But I will tell you, it is absolutely nothing in comparison to the crystal sea that we will see someday. Look at this closer at the sea, though. It says it is mingled with fire. Look at that verse. It is mingled with fire. There's a beauty to the judgment of God. Our God is a consuming fire. Now look at verse number two. 
saved throughout the tribulation period, and who paid for that with their life. They refused the mark of the beast. I'm not taking 666, and I'll just tell you right now, I'm not taking it either. Whatever they want to give us now. Not happening. They triumphed over the beast by their death, by paying ultimate death. These are martyr faithful believers who will have stood for the Messiah, and they refused to take the mark of the beast. The Bible says that from every tribe, every tribe, every people and nation, including Israel. Now, verse 3, it says they are singing and they're playing their harps. I'm sure it's probably our electric guitar up here, or these are the things they're playing. But I mean, they are playing these uh, harps and singing. Now, you'll notice there are two parts to their song. First of all, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. By the way, I love that phrase, don't you? Moses, the servant of God. People say, well, I thought he was a leader. He is a leader. He was a leader. He's the perfect kind of leader. He was a servant leader. Like Jesus, he was a servant leader. It says that they sang this beautiful song of holiness, a song of victory. It's actually found in Exodus chapter 15. That is the song of Moses, sometimes called the song of the sea. The interesting thing about this particular passage in Exodus 15, ancient synagogues and even many modern synagogues sing it every Sabbath day in the afternoon. We actually found a sample of the song of Moses, the song of the sea in Hebrew. So, if you're ready, if you can, would you play about 30 seconds or so about? Here is the Song of Moses, Exodus 15, Son of Hebrew. Song of Moses was sung in triumph over Egypt. The 
song of the Lamb, the song in triumph over battle. The song of Moses told how God brought his people out. The song of the Lamb tells how God brings his people in. The song of Moses was the first song in Scripture, and the song of the Lamb is the last song in Scripture. Very appropriate. God, who is the Alpha and the Omega, tells us that in that day, on that crystal sea, there's going to be all these marked saints that are going to be playing with instruments, and they're going to be singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. There's two parts of this song that are so beautiful, wonderful attributes of God. First of all, the greatness of God's works. Great and marvelous are thy works, the verse says. And not only the greatness of God's works, but the justice and ways. Just and true are thy ways. His ways. If God lets sin go unpunished, he would be righteous. His works. If he could do anything about sin, he would be great and almighty. But he's both of those and so much more. A great Bible commentator at the turn of the 18th century was named Adam Clark. You can look up on your internet Clark commentary. He wrote the following. Oh, what pains do men take to hell. Early and late they toil at sin, and would not divine justice be in their debt if it did not pay them their due wages? Yes, God's righteous judgment will come to them. Then the song closes, verse number four, with a joyful anticipation of deliverance. Oh Lord, we're going to glorify your name for thy judgments in the last part are made manifest. Someday, all nations, even those evil Axis nations, the Russians of the world, the Chinas of the world, the Cubans of the world, the North Koreas, the Iran's of the world, will all come and worship Jesus Christ in holy fear of God. Unfortunately, today, the United Nations that we know there in New York, for the most part, has just become a forum for leftist tell you there is coming a day when there's going to be a true United Nations. And that's when our Messiah sets up an earthly kingdom. And the Bible says that all nations will come and fear God. Even ones today that are atheist nations, not them. The sign of the last judgment, now the singing during the last judgment about the beauty of God's holiness. Now the third section, the stage, setting verses 5 and 6. Let's watch as the angelic players come together in God's destruction derby. Everybody's getting into their places and fulfilling their assigned rules. In verse number five, it says, There is a tabernacle of testimony that's going to be opened. Now, holy angels will, will have been waiting for decades. Why don't you do something? The angels are very smart. They're not and they know the end. They know what's coming. The angels have been telling Jesus, I'm sure, for thousands of years, do something. Well, he's going to do something. Now it's time. They've been waiting decades and centuries and millennia. Now, finally, the time has come. It says, open up the tabernacle of testimony. What is this tabernacle of testimony? It is, in fact, the heavenly ark of heaven. Now there is an earthly Ark of the Covenant that mirrors the heavenly Ark of the Covenant. 
covenant did hold something. It filled the testimony of God. It held God's perfect revelation. The scriptures. Now John is given like a high priest and like us who once you've been saved, we have access into the Holy of Holies. John is given a look right into the Holy of Holies, the inner chamber where God dwells, where the Ark of the Covenant is, and there he sees this testimony. The tables of stone, really, where God reveals his perfect standard of holiness for his name. And he's going to open it up. The point being, God's going to judge the earth by a perfect standard. A standard that is in heaven. A standard that's in the very covenant. The ark of the covenant. God says, now, what's going to happen? Verse 6. Seven angels come out of that temple. They have these seven plagues. Remember, those are flogs. They are going to flog the world. Notice they're clothed in pure and white linen, having their breasts girded with golden girdles. They're these lofty royal apparel angels, magnificently pure, beautiful. These angels will be holy ministers, pure ministers of the royal. God doing everything in a pure, holy manner. Trying to get people to repent, even at the end. So all this is taking place very quickly. And whether it's exactly the way it sounds or metaphorical, the fact of the matter is it's going to happen. Author C.E. Tanner said, through repentance, is when a sinner has a sense of revulsion for his sin and says, I'm sorry to the holiness himself, the God of ages who alone can forgive. So, the stage has been set now. Seven angels, holy angels, righteous angels, glorious royal angels, they have looked into the tabernacle, they looked into the Ark of the Tabernacle, they looked into the very heavenly Ark of the Covenant, there's a righteous standard there, and God is going to judge the earth that way. And finally, we have a spectacle. A spectacle of God confirming the last judgment. With all the pageantry, with all the medallia, with all the awe-inspiring royalty that's taking place, God is going to display a beautiful holiness, a righteous wrath. Verse 7, one of the four beasts. Oh, now we have a different group. Four beasts? Well, we learned about them back in chapter 6. They gave unto seven angels seven golden vials, full of wrath of that word again, the wrath of God, that just sounds so rough, but then God's wrath is beautiful. It's the beauty of holiness, it's righteous who live forever and ever. Who are these four beasts? Actually, the word is creatures, and they are very high-ranking angels. We know that because chapter 4 describes them as being those that have full eyes in front and behind. Cherubim were actually originally to us in the first chapter of Ezekiel. Cherubims are those who guard the holiness of God. They're kind of like God's secret service. They're right around the throne. They have a very special role to play here because these cherubim, these four cherubim, these special amazing creatures of God, hand to seven angels seven bowls of judgment. So the cherubim and these bowls of golden bowls to uh, these angels. Now the key 
We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.